Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Well, we come to the end of the, our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. Did we run out of those? Um, okay, we'll, I'll print another 15 or 20 of those. And uh, we do have the CDs. They're available on the, on the whole set. And uh, they will be. Today's, I don't know what I'm going to say yet, so they don't know what to copy yet. So you have to wait a little bit to wrap it up. But, uh, and also the blog site. Yeah, if some of you probably have to be under 40 to know what that even means, but uh, they're available on there. Jay puts them on, and if they can be a help and a blessing, that's what we want. Title of the message, What is the Chief End of Man? Ecclesiastes 12, 8 to 14. And I ask the question, does life seem futile to you? Does it seem futile? Does it seem meaningless? You ever come to a point where you say, does anything I do really matter? Anything. Is there any sense to it all? Well, is there a key that unlocks the reason for you and I to even exist? What is it? Where is it? Can we find it? Is there such a key? That's the quest that Solomon has been on here. Well, his journey... In search of such a key has now come to an end. We know it is the book of Ecclesiastes, these 12 chapters. Um, I suggested they were probably a sermon. There were six refrains, remember, uh, throughout the study here where he stops and then he calls us to enjoy life, eat and drink and find joy in your work and enjoy life if you're married with your wife and and enjoy the life that God has given. It's a great gift. He has stopped six times and done that through the, through the journey of our study of this book, calling us to that. Has he found the key? He's looking for it. I submit to you as we come to the very end and we break the tape here, the end of his course, that in fact he has found the key. It's not perfect. Life is still filled with mystery even if you have the key. But I'm telling you, at least we're walking toward the light. We can make sense of life far better than without this key. Without the key, we're stumbling around in the darkness. You ever get out of bed in the middle of the night, maybe make your trek to the restroom or get a drink of water and hit your toe on the bedpost? Anyone ever done that? I think I've knocked my toe off through the years doing that. I know right where it is, but I seem to boot that thing, but good, and it doesn't budge. And Faith, she's sleeping. She doesn't hear anything. But I'm hopping around in the darkness, and it's painful. And that's the way life is in a fallen world, upside down. It's darkness. But this key allows us to see the big overarching themes, and it helps us to understand who we are and who God is and what are we supposed to be doing and where are we going. We know the macro uh, things of life. We still don't know all the ins and outs and the details. I don't know. I don't profess to know those things. God has not written those things. Many of those things are kept to himself. Occasionally he lets us know, maybe later. But why certain things happen? Some of you have had deep sorrow and trouble and loss, the death of loved ones, loss of a job, and deep disappointments, and maybe abuse. It happens. You go like, well, why did God, if he's good and if he's sovereign and if he's almighty, why would he allow that to happen? Filled with mystery. He doesn't knock on your door and say, oh, hey, let me tell you why that happened. He doesn't. But we're walking toward the light, we're in the light, in the sun, and this key that he gives us is the best thing going, and without it, we're stumbling in the darkness. It is only this key that will open our hearts to the joy and purpose that our souls have longed for for so very long. There's a longing. There, the ancient writers say there's a restlessness in the soul of men and women until they come to know this key. 
he is bound up in the person of a Savior, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, don't miss it. Don't miss this key that Solomon is going to present. This key unlocks the mystery of life, the great macro overarching themes, the wonder of it. And to miss it, according as we've already seen, is to have a life that is, that is dull, like the kids say, boring, empty. That's the word. In the word, we'll see it again, habel in the Hebrew, Hebel, Hebel, Hebel. It's the word breath or meaningless or vanity. Without this key, life is dull, it's vain, and it's empty. It's a vain existence. But to find it and use it will provide you with a full and satisfying life. I promise you it will. Not without problems, but you will say, John 10, 10, he who has a son has life and he has it more abundantly. It'll be full. Your cup will be full and overflowing. You'll have times of tears, but God will wipe the tears away. And he will restore your soul. Remember Psalm 23? He restoreth my soul. My nafesh, my soul. That's what we need. We get battered and beat and bruised and bludgeoned. And it happens to our loved ones. Hurt me, but don't hurt my loved ones, right? But sometimes our loved ones get hurt. It is this key, and this key alone, I promise you, according to God's wonderful word. Well, in verses 8 to 14, the closing grand finale, and answering the question, what is the chief end of man, Solomon closes and the curtain drops. So let's, let's read this last, these last verses. Verse 8, meaningless, meaningless, says Solomon the teacher, everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered, he searched out, and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. and What he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Making many books, there's no end. And much study wearies the body. There you go. Astros, if you're a student, I've often thought of that. Much study wearies the body. Verse 13, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Well, there are three insights. This final grand finale uh, really unfolds in three parts. Quite simple. Verse 8, he re- reiterates his theme again that he gave in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. He frames in this body, this sermon, if you will, by saying at the beginning... Vanity, vanity, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. And then he goes through the journey, and now in verse 8, he's going to say it again. In verses 9 to 12, he's going to point us to our only guide, as he has been a part of that uh, compilation of the wise sayings known as Scripture. The only guide in life is God's Word, given by one shepherd, given by God himself. And then finally, the key Fear God and keep his commandments. I remember when I was in high school, a senior, we had uh, uh, Dr. Ed Heinsohn. How many of you know Dr. Ed Heinsohn from Liberty University? Dr. Ed Heinsohn was at our church, and Del Faisenfeld, do any of you remember Del? He's in heaven now with uh, Life Action. And does that ring a bell? Mm-hmm. They had a great ministry at our church. And the two of them were together, and Ed was teaching the adults at 5 o'clock Sunday night. And I stood in the lobby after with my Bible open, asking him a question about Ecclesiastes to Dr. Eisen as a senior in high school. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, whenever you read the book of Ecclesiastes, always couple it together with the last two verses of the entire book. Funnel it all through there. Now, I'm sure he forgot me long ago. He forgot even telling me that. But he is exactly right, because that's where Solomon closes, pointing at the only key that we have. And all has been said and done. And Solomon had the money, had the wealth, had the time to do it all. 
and he writes this and delivers this as an old man as the teacher, this is what he says. Apart from this, it's all emptiness. So fear God and keep his commandments. You got that? If you got that, let's go home. Now let's give a little bit of development. Shall we do that? So let's call it three insights then from these three parts of Solomon's conclusion, providing us with the key to really living. And I remind you that Solomon has looked in all kinds of places for the key that unlocks the mysteriousness of this thing called life in a fallen world. And I say to you, try as you will, without this key, you'll never figure it out. It's not an education. Say, I'm going to get, I'm going to get a double PhD. You'll never figure it out. Incidentally, FUD, PhD, rhymes with dud. You won't. You'll be an expert in something the size of a postage stamp, but you will not figure it out with that. You won't. You won't. Man's answer is not an education. Get as much as you can. It's a gift of God. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to learn. I wish I had more time. In fact, we'll be doing that in, in glory, I'm sure. Well, to know more about astronomy and physics and cellular development and molecular biology, all these kind of things, right? And, 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 and just all, I have such an inquisitive now, a desire to want to know. I, I'd, I'd like to figure out how to use my computer adequately, right, Jay? Jay helps me and laughs, you know. I know what I know, but that's what I know. I don't know much beyond that, but uh, maybe I'll figure it out then. Maybe we won't even need it then, right? Uh, Beam me up, Scotty, kind of thing, you know, right? Well, that'd be great. But uh, in heaven, we will. But you'll never be able to figure it out. Get as much as you want, you won't. These things are spiritually discerned, and this is the key that he presents. Well, verse 8, as I indicated, is the first insight, is your life, apart from a relationship with Jesus, from God himself, is worthless. It's absolutely worthless for the disconnected life, and that's what you are. You ever been on the phone and you get disconnected? Has that happened? Can you hear me now? Did you ever say that? And then they can't hear you because you're disconnected? Hey, it's one thing to be disconnected on your Verizon line. It's another thing to be disconnected because you're not saved. You're still under the penalty of your sin with the Savior, the God, the Creator of all. And when you're disconnected for the disconnected life, is meaningless. That's what verse 8 means. Life under the sun, that means apart from a relationship with God, and that's only found through the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 8, reiterating his theme from chapter 1, verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Now, he doesn't say it once. We might have missed it. He doesn't say it twice. Some of us might have missed it. He says it three times. It's like uh, on the Navy ship. Now hear this. Now hear this. Right? Everybody hear this. Life apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus is meaningless. You're disconnected. You're out there. In football, they talk about free agents. And I wonder if Brett Farr is going to be a free agent. He's going to work in the front office for $20 million for 10 years. That sounds like a good deal, right? That's pocket change. Maybe he could get by. We'll have to take up an offering for him, right? Free agents. There's no such thing as a free agent for, for, there are no islands. God made us to be connected with Him, and it's only found through the Savior, the mediator, Christ Jesus, the Lord. You must. Until you are, you are clueless, is what he says. Meaningless. Solomon reiterates. He said it in 1-2. He frames in the body of his message. He uses the word meaningless three times to say it's utter folly even absurd. I weep when I read some of, the, some, some of the great thinkers that reject God, reject His Word, and, and philosophize, and, and end up taking their life or overdosing on drugs and whatever else to find psychedelics, some meaning, Lord, somewhere, not Lord, somewhere, right? You have to weep for them. They're disconnected. It seems mean. It seems a joke, sick joke, upside down. Why live? Why end it all? Is that all there is to a song? Is that all there is to a fire? Is that all there is to life? This is, they're disconnected. That's what he's saying at the conclusion here, if you haven't gotten it. He tried pleasure. He tried wealth. He tried entertainment. He tried music. He tried sex. He tried everything. 
And nothing made sense because he was disconnected. And it's true in your life. It's true in mine. It was true in our life grossly before we were saved. And if you wander off the path, you, all of a sudden you get fuzzy. Somehow the lights are turned down. You get disconnected. Disconnect. God made us to love him, to know him, to walk with him, to live him, for him and to serve him. And when we don't, we're in deep trouble. Life in and of itself is uh, unable to supply the key questions to life. You don't even know who you are when you're disconnected from God. If you're not saved, you don't know who you are. We read that you're nothing, you're not very much. You're cosmic junk. You're an accident waiting to happen. That's all you are. You're material in the materialism of our day. That's all you are. You, you don't know who you are. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, and God has saved you, and that God loves you. And that's amazing to me, that God should love the likes of us, not because of anything in us, but he chose to do that. You don't know God. You don't know who you are. You don't know what's life, what's work, what's children, what's the value of an unborn baby. We live in that world. It's the, it's the, it's the conflict of the ages here. Get rid of it. Sacrifice. It's the height of selfishness. Uh, I think abortion is. It's, it's wrong. It's always wrong to extinguish the beauty of life, the most protected part of human life, or it ought to be, for the height of selfishness. And we do that as a people. I pray that God would change that. It's a horrible travesty. We don't know who the value of life. Just sweep it away. Do this, do that. You see? You're di disconnected. It's meaningless. It's absurd. What's the point? And then you end up being with Nitschke, Right? Who was the father of uh, Nazism? If nothing makes sense, then, then it's going to be me, and might is right, and it's right because I can punch you in the face and force my will in your life. And that's what it ends up, very, very dehumanized, and the raw reality is horrible of that. Listen, life is tough, but it could be a lot worse. And those ideologies of hopelessness and helplessness and selfishness and, and, and the twistedness become in charge. I mean, godly people go into hiding. David hid in a cave when that happened. And that's happened. You know, David was a caveman. He was. Ape men, no, never been. Ever half animal, half man, never. Ever, ever. Cavemen, yes. Whenever conditions are so bad, and people crawl in the caves to hide. You know one day in the future they're going to be cave dwellers? Mm -hmm. During the tribulation period, you ever read that in the Olivet Discourse? People are going to hide in caves. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a caveman psalm. David wrote a song while he was a cave dweller. I remember Faithy's dad was in the, the Battle of the Bulge. John Wickham was also in the Battle of the Bulge. And the Wiccan would talk about that. I often thought about Pop with that. That, that Wiccan would say, I too was a caveman. That was so cold uh, that we got out our shovels and we dug holes to, to, to put our bodies in the ground or we would have froze to death. I too was a caveman, <laughs> John Wickham. Never forget that. Life seems uh, strange and meaningless. You don't know who you are, your meaning in life, your purpose, your value. What, what's enjoyment? What's, where are we headed? None of these things when we're disconnected. When we try to understand the world without relating every piece of it to God, it does not fit together. It's like taking puzzle pieces, if you like doing that kind of thing, and mixing them all up, different puzzles. You go like, this will never work. And that's right, never Faithy's mom, when she would come to visit, would get this puzzle and work on it the whole time. Remember that, dear? She'd work on it, work on it. Sarah would sit down, and Dave and Jonathan help put a piece here or there. But life, apart from the connection to, the, to God, to our Savior, makes no sense. It doesn't fit together. Science can tell how something happened. History can tell what happened. But none can tell us why it happened. Why? Why? Do you know you can ask, answer that question uh, uh, to someone, what they say, five times and drive people absolutely bizarre? Try that this week. Someone says, well, well why, are you, why are you doing that? You know, or, 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 uh, or, uh, or you come back with them five times. Why? And then when they answer, you can say, why? 
why. They may hit you. Right? You be careful about that. All right? We're never, listen, B, look at B. We are never made to exist without a relationship with God. No free agents here. None. To do so is to walk in the dark. The first thing, think about Adam. Let's go back before the fall. The first thing that Adam knew after God made him was that he had been created by God. He was not in the dark about that. God made me, formed me out of the dust of the ground. He breathed into my my lungs the breath of life. God had created him. They had a perfect relationship. Now, you've never had one. You've never had one. You may have a great marriage if you're married. I dare say it's not perfect. Amen? I'm not sure. Maybe, Faithy, you and I are different, huh? (laughs) Ours is great, but it's not perfect. She has to live with a guy who still has a sin bent sometimes, right? And children, you say, oh, our children, aren't they beautiful? I dare say it's not a perfect relationship. Have you noticed that? And you did not have a perfect relationship with your mom and dad. I don't care if you're sitting there smiling, looking angelic. I know otherwise. Never been one. Adam had a perfect relationship with God. Everything he needed to know, God told him. You see, he was connected. It wasn't meaningless. And everything he learned about on your sheet, look, about creation, everything he learned about his, about his wife, who was she? How does she relate to me? She looks like me. She's got a little different equipment. She's beautiful. I'm not beautiful. She's beautiful. And he learned all about that. He learned about work. He learned about rules for the garden, rules for life. Don't eat of this tree. That's a rule, if you will. He learned all of that through his connection and with his relationship with God. He did. He did. That relationship made everything else make sense. Everything from the eating of his lunch to bathing to studying to caring for the animals all of it. It was that relationship and the way that God defined everything. Adam, this is what I want you to think about this. This is what you think about your wife. This is what I think about something you're going to have children. This is what you have to think about. All these things, you see, be fruitful and multiply. That was pre-fall. God told him because he was connected perfectly in relationship. Sin had not entered. And if Adam had been shown anything of the creation apart from God, he would not have understood it correctly been twisted. He'd been like deer in the headlight, look. You ever get that? Deer in the headlight, look. Sometimes your loved ones get that, and your kids do this, kind of this deer in the headlight, look. Confused? Adam would not have known had he been told anything apart from his relationship uh, to God. Well, this is the place of unsaved men and women today. Disconnected have no idea who they are, who God is, what life's about, where's it going. I hate going to funerals. I've seen folks at uh, Christian funerals or graduation, they're, be- they're really beautiful. Unless it's, you know, a sudden death, and, and those are hard, but God gives grace. They're hard. But let's say a, a, a believer lives a full life, serves the Lord, wonderfully saved. I'm telling you, they're like your graduation. And you see folks come in, that don't know God, they're disconnected, and they want to get out of there. They're hoping I'm real short, not 5'10", but short in sermon, right? Because it's a freak show to them. And they're looking at the casket thinking, I'm going to have a box someday. And they, they, they're, you know, and you have to weep for them. They're not stupid. They're not. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. They need to be saved. They need the work of God. It's a miracle in their life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. It's a freak show. They want to get out. How sad that is. It doesn't make any sense apart from Christ. And that's where the world around us is. And I think the tragedy of all tragedies is to have lived and to have never known the key to living. That's Christ. For me, living is Christ. And to die is gain. What a waste. What a waste. You know, it's not good to waste. You know, a good mind is a thing to waste. You don't want to do that. You don't waste your time and your treasury, your investments, your talents, all these things. We don't want to waste, right? 
about a life that's wasted, disconnected, doesn't know God through Christ alone, meaningless. What a tragedy of tragedy. Don't let that be you. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the most important decision in your life. Every one of us are born lost. Hell is a horrible place. Horrible. Don't take my word. I'm just delivering the, the newspaper here. God wrote the paper. Horrible. Jesus talked more about the a hell than he did about heaven. And you're on track to that if you're not saved today. You know what? I thought about that. If I knew I wasn't saved, I wouldn't go to bed tonight. You say, well, the answer's in this book. Turn to John and start reading it, particularly John 3, Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. And I would be up all night. I wouldn't want to put my head on the pillow and sleep knowing I could have an aneurysm or something else, and that's it. And it hell is a long time. There's no, there's no back door. After having heard the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want to be, God wants you to be connected. Listen, God does not deal with us as judge today. He doesn't. He ought to, but he doesn't. It's a day of grace. It's a day of love. God so loved that he gave. And he invites you to come and be saved and be connected so that your life is no longer meaningless. Don't let the day pass. Ask the Lord to save you from the penalty of your sin. And I don't care if you're a little kid or if you're up here or many, many years. You must be born again. Those are Jesus' words. That means born from, the word is a born from above. Spiritually, new birth must be yours. That's the gospel. It's great news. Better news than the Buffalo Bills won the Super Bowl. Never happened yet. Maybe someday. But infinitely far greater. And God saves sinful men and women forever. He does it. You don't. Wow. Well, look at the second insight. Solomon's conclusion, and that is your only guide in life is God's wonderful word, the Bible. This is a very interesting uh, verses, 9, 10, 11, and 12, because it calls us to beware of anything else, anything else that will attempt to be your guide, your philosophy, your religion. For all of these others will wear you out and not give you the key. Much study wearies the body. In verses 9 and 10, Solomon tells us how and why he wrote this book. He, he refers to himself in third person here. Not only was the teacher, he's referring to himself. His teacher was wise. We already know that God gave him the gift of wisdom. But also he, he's speaking of himself, imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher, again himself, searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and their collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Well, in A, Solomon tells us how and why he wrote the book. How he wrote it, he wrote his work with diligence. A few passages in all the Bible tell us more about how Scripture was written than this. It's a great passage. We understand that, uh, in, that uh, as he did his work, he realized that God was superintending the process through the Holy Spirit. And what he wrote was actually a part of the collection known as the words of wisdom the collection of wisdom, or the revelation of God. We call it the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. The Spirit of God so controlled the process of men so that what they wrote in the original writing was inerrant, came from any error whatsoever. We believe that God preserves His Word. The Lord said, the Word of God is eternal and abides forever. We have faithful and reliable copies of that in our own language. It's a great treasure. 
Next to the gospel, your Bible is the greatest treasure that you possess. Not your bank account, not your nice, pleasing personality. Give me a break. It's not your wife or kids if you're married. None of those. Or even grandkids. As great as it's your Bible. It's your Bible. It's your Bible. It's your Bible. Your Bible should, you should wear it out. I promise you, you should. A worn-out Bible is usually owned by someone whose life is not. Wear your Bible out. One man tells a story, I think it was Nelson, tells a story of, uh, of a man, uh, Phil, yeah. Uh, he's a very successful businessman. And uh, a tremendous blessing to the church and to the work and Tommy Nelson says, the thing I love most about Phil is his Bible. His Bible is worn out. In fact, it's taped together with duct tape. And I love to see it. He goes on and suggests that when he dies, that'll be the thing that his kids will fight over more than anything else. Who gets Dad's Bible? With all the notes and all the comments and all the underlining, all the treasury of that. The Word of God. That's right, and that's the way it ought to be. Shame on you. If your Bible sits on your desk, your counter, your bedroom, honey, where is it? Haven't seen it since last Sunday. That's seven days without one Bible, without uh, a Bible study makes one week, W-E-A-K. And Solomon indicates here how God superintended the process and reminds us in these words of wisdom that uh, they are really given by God and uh, that we ought to hear them. How? Notice why. For number three, sub-point, he did this in order to teach his people truth. In the day in which we live, we've lost truth. In fact, uh, anyone who stands up and says this is the truth is considered in educated circles, you're arrogant and you're a fool. That's nonsense. It's satanic. God has given truth. The end of truth is a person, Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, Aletheia, the truth. Truth. That's what Solomon is giving here. And he was to teach his people. I love this because really, I wrote in my margin years ago, this is really my desire. As he pondered, he searched out, and he set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. What he wrote was upright and true. Welcome to my world. (laughs) It's not Wally's world, but welcome to my world. I live in this world. Thinking of um, exact words and phrases uh, and trying to write that which reflects the text that that makes it personal, applicational, that provides windows uh, so you can let the light of understanding in by way of illustrations, and yet is it bridges to us today. We're not just doing a history lesson, but God's Word is dynamic. It speaks to us today in an applicational sense. And all good pastors and all good teachers, this reflects our heart's desire to teach God's people His wonderful Word to make a difference in their hearts and life. That's why Solomon did what he did. That's exactly it and it alone. Look at B. Solomon further tells the function of the source of the words that he has given in verses 11 and 12. He says in 11, the words of the wise, there it is, that's the revelation of God's word, are like goads and their collected sayings, there you can put Bible, if you will, uh, in, in your margin there, the collected sayings are like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Shepherd ought to be capitalized in your Bible. That's referring to God. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Making many books, there's no end, and much study wearies the bodies. Well, the function of Scripture, these words of the wise are twofold. They're goads. Well, what in the world's a goad? Well, say it, he's goading me. Some people used to say that, or my teacher goads me. We don't live in that culture to know what that means. Well, a shepherd, it's one of the tools of a shepherd. You'd have this long stick. Remember, you had a staff. Uh, you know, thy rod and thy staff. Remember that? The staff, the implements of a shepherd. When a wolf would come, the shepherd would pull the staff out, protect the sheep, and, and whack the, uh, the wolf. Right? Protect. But uh, the rod was different. 
The rod was usually about three feet high, made of wood, and on the end of it had a metal tip. There you go. That was a goad stick. Goad stick. And uh, if, uh, if he had sheep and the sheep uh, got off the path, he would goad them. He'd give them a, give them a pop. He'd give them a pop right into the, the quadricep. And uh, that was not a pleasing thing. Thank you very much for that, Shepherd. That felt extra good today. No, it didn't feel good. But he did it because he loved them. He didn't want them to get off the path. We easily go off the path. And the shepherd comes with the and would pop. It also was used if uh, he had occasion to, uh, to uh, be with oxen. And uh, that he would, uh, the oxen would move. And that's a lot of beef there on a prime rib, hanging on the rib yet, still breathing, stand there, decide he didn't want to move, the, he'd take the uh, goat stick and whack right into the quadricep. And that ox, he got himself moving. It was a goat stick. And what he's saying here is that the Word of God, the revelation of God given by the teacher, functions like a goat stick. What's that mean? Sometimes when I preach, you're going to feel beat up. You're going to get mad at me. You say, I don't like him anymore. I never did anyway. <laughs> I'm just a delivery guy. I love you enough to care that the God's Word speaks to you. It's going to be like a goat. He hit me. right? And I, People will call me, sometimes email, they'll catch me later and say, you know what's going on in my life? I said, no, not really. He said, I thought someone told you because you preached against me last week, and you were all over me. And I said, you know what? I'm clueless, but God does. And evidently, God wanted to use his word like a goad stick in your life to get you where you need to be. All right? So it's God's word, and you need to fire me and kick me out if I stop delivering it. Yes, God, amen. <laughs> amen. I didn't expect amen there. Okay, amen. Okay. All right. We're going to Buffalo, Faithy. We may never come back. But that's true. If this pulpit stops that, you need to kick the guy out. It's a ghost stick. It's just not like, oh, I felt so good today. <laughs> then that guy's failing. The Word encourages us, and we need that. But the Word instructs us, and we need that. But it also rebukes us and corrects us. And there ought to be a sense of conviction. Listen, i got to live with this all week long. It beats me upside one side of the street and down the next. I'm like jello when I come in here because I've had to live with this thing. At least you can endure an hour. <laughs> it's a goat stick. It is. That's what he's saying. But more than that, he goes on to say, and it, it, a goat stick stimulates us to godly living, uh, but more, it's a nail. It's a nail. It's a well-embedded nail. These sayings of the wise, the revelation of God, His Word, it's an embedded nail, which will anchor your life. The nails in the shepherd life anchored the tent down. Bev was talking about her tent blowing in the wind there that first night in West Virginia. And uh, I trust it didn't blow. It didn't blow it down, did it, Bev? Yeah, it was anchored. And, and the Word of God is an anchor. It's an anchor to your life. Think of Psalm 1-3. The Word of God and the man of God, the text tells us what? He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. His leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. He's planted. The man or woman who meditates day and night in the Word. The Word of God is a nail. It'll provide stability so you're not blowing all over the place. You ever see people's lives like that? They're blowing up one side of the street and down the next, and where are they? Jiminy Cricket, we have no idea where they are. They're here, they're gone. You know, they talk a good story. Your life should not be like that. Listen, if your life swings from crisis to crisis, something's wrong. That's not a mark of godliness. It's certainly not a mark of maturity. There ought to be a foundation in your life through the Word of God so that when the realities of wind blow, and they do, it's a storm. It's not every day, unless you're in Buffalo there in the winter, but it ought to provide stability for you and for those that you love. It comes through the Word of God. It's not only a goat stick, but it's a nail. It's a well-embedded nail. It's a nail. That's what we need, don't we? 
Wow. And number three and final, the only way to know God then is to immerse yourself in His Word. All other books are merely man's often confused musings. The Bible will navigate you through life. Some of you are familiar with World War II history. One of the great, that one of the greatest battleships ever built was the Bismarck. The Germans uh, launched it. It was a ferocious thing. Didn't uh, survive very long, but uh, it was unbelievable. As only the Germans could develop and build the steel, reinforce the enormous uh, guns on deck. It was a fearsome, fearsome thing. In fact. The British put all their ships to hunt it down and find it. And the Hood uh, found it, the British uh, battleship. And you know what happened to the Hood? Uh, if I remember right, within an hour, I think it was less, one shell sunk the Hood, and thousands of British soldiers drowned from the Bismarck. That thing was awesome. And they sent the, the British sent everything at it, and uh, they didn't think they could touch it. There was a biplane, a bi-wing plane. You know what a biplane is? They have those, it's old-fashioned with the two wings. And in World War II, the Brits uh, had those things flying around looking for subs, and they would put a tor torpedo on the bottom. It looked like a World War I thing, and what is it doing, a World War II kind of... And this thing found the Bismarck flying over, and it let the torpedo go. And the torpedo hit the rudder of the Bismarck and disabled it. I mean, you had all of this might, all of this weaponry and power and know-how how that man could possibly come up with, and yet the thing couldn't navigate. And went sort of, I remember, sort of in a circle, and finally they pulverized it and it sunk. It was defenseless. But isn't that most people's lives? You know, they have a lot of things that give promise to them. A lot of things. Good looking, smart, opportunity, but they don't seem to be able to navigate life like the Bismarck. And they become a disaster waiting to happen. I'm saying to you, don't let that be you. You can. God has given us one guide to navigate through life. It's the Word of God. It takes disciplines. It takes diligence. It takes, you've got to realize, I've got to spend time in the Word. And no substitute for it. One of the great joys I have in life is to get up early in the morning. And the Lord has brought me to a place now where I don't even need to set the alarm. And God gets me up early. And it's quiet, open the windows, and I get the coffee pot, get my Bible, and I study my Bible. I pray for, I pray, and I pray for you, but I study the Word, and God meets with me and teaches me and blesses my heart and, and fills me with a song and joy. He knows what's coming in the day, so I want to start the day with Him. Nothing like it in all my life. It's one of the sweetest things. In fact, when the others come down, they know that it's not talk time. Amen, David? <laughs> no, that's uh, yes, not amen. Amen, faith knows that. See, David, it's, it's study time. Uh-oh, I'm going to hear about that one later. <laughs> but it is. It's, uh, it's the sweetest time of the day, and that ought to be for you. You find direction for it. Look at number three and last. Quickly, time, our time is just about gone. The third insight your key to life that opens life, meaning is finally declared, he says in 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty's not in the Hebrew. They, they, they're, they're trying to understand it. It really is, this is the wholeness of man. This is the totality of men and women everywhere. What? Fear God. Keep His commandments, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. What a grand conclusion this is, the chief end 
of man. We must fear him. Well, what's that mean? Look at the acronym I put on your sheet. What's it mean? If we're to fear God, it means to, are we to tremble? Well, if you don't know him, you should. But if you know him, this is what it means. Fear. F, it means we must have faith in his existence. Hebrews 11.6 reminds us, for without faith it's impossible to please God. And they that come to God must believe that he is, that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We must have faith in his existence. You say, well, I must have great faith. No, you don't have to have great faith. In fact, it's just the opposite. You have to have the faith of a child. You know that? Like a child. Kids are stupid. You ever realize that? Parents tell them about Santa Claus, and they're out there looking for Santa Claus. And they come on, get a life. They're, and the rest, they believe these things. My folks did that when I was a kid. I go back to that. But we're to be childlike in our trust. God said it, and that settles it. God said it. That settles it. Faith. He's really there. Trust Him. Look at second. Salvation. E, we must experience His grace through saving faith. We must come to know He's a God of grace and mercy. And God has forgives us of all of our sins. Experience Him. You must. You must be saved. How about A, number three? We must be in awe of His majesty. His wisdom and the wonder of God. He's awesome. He's glorious. He's great. If we're to fear Him, you have to know who He is. He's really there and He's really great. You must experience in your own life and be in awe of Him. Wow. And R, finally, we must resolve to do what He says. And that leads us to B. We must keep His commandments. Keep His commandments. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it if you're unsaved. God will save you, and He saved many of you. Gives you the Spirit, the Word of God, and the new disposition. And gives you the ability to obey His Word and to do it. But you must apply yourself to it as well. Keep His commandments. This is the wholeness of man. It's a secret to being a whole person. Everything hinges on the words. Fear God. One day, Jesus will judge every person. That's the last verse. Everything will be brought into the light, even the hidden things. You and I cannot hide from him. For Hebrews uh, chapter 4 uh, tells us in verse uh, 14, one day Jesus will judge every person and bring to the light even the hidden things. Now, if you're saved and it's under the blood, it's all forgiven. Isn't that great? That's great news. All of it. All of it. I can't tell you how, more, how wonderful that is. That is truly so. Well, lessons for our life. What shall we say? Number one, the key to navigating in life, you must know Jesus and be guided by his word. It is the key. Fear him. Keep his commandment. But you must be connected to him. You must know Him. Open your heart to Him today. Admit that you're a sinner and lost. You're not holy. You're born that way. Sinners sin. That's what we do. God loves sinful men and women so much that He sent His own Son. Be saved today. And be guided by His Word. Number two. Diligence and discipline are necessary for you to really know God. To grow in His Word. Diligence. I'm going to do it. Discipline. I'm going to get up early. An hour early. I'm going to read my Bible. Listen, it's not the number of times that you've read your Bible through. It's the number of times your Bible has been through you. Diligence. Discipline. You're not going to grow in grace being lazy slothful. Gather when God's people gather. There's a great feast. We feed the Word of God here. Pull up a chair to the table and eat. Feed your soul. Diligence, discipline. Oh, I don't like that stuff. You're going to stay, if you are saved, you're going to stay in first grade. Don't do that. Don't. Number three, God made you to know Him as the foundation for everything else in your life. That's the way God made you. He wired you that way. He wired me that way. 
It's foundational to our life. And if we don't have that foundation, we're disconnected and nothing makes sense. Nothing. I don't even know why I work. Why do I get paid? What's it all about, Elfie? You know? We go, what's it mean? It's crazy. It means nothing. We're stumbling around in the darkness. God made you to know him as the foundation of everything else in your life. Number four, remind you from one of the overarching themes of this book, and I love this, any good that you can do, let me urge you, do it now. Any good you can enjoy, enjoy it now. For you will not pass this way again. That's what Solomon is telling us. Do the good now. Enjoy life now. For this is not the dress rehearsal. This is the real thing. And you and I will not pass this way again. Have you noticed that? We're getting older. All of us. All of us. And number five, let me encourage you, enjoy your life as a gift from God. Enjoy it. Live it to the max. It's God's gift. Enjoy it, but do so according to the rules. Can I put it that way? I played a lot of sports. There are rules. Do so according to the rules, and your life will be blessed. Well, Ecclesiastes, what a book. What a book. What a good God. What a life. What a plan. I'm so thankful God put this in this collection of wise, the Word of God, Ecclesiastes. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him all the days of our lives. Shall we stand and be dismissed?